We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 133. We can breathe now. Everybody exhale. Araldus Chapman just had a heart attack save at Fenway Park. It's never freaking easy against the Red Sox at Fenway Park. But that got the heart racing, Scott. It did. We had the fog. We had Chapman coming in and putting runners on base. The one thing that I was very happy not to see was David Ortiz step into the box. (laughs) Because for whatever reason, and granted, I understand the damage that this dude has done for a long time against the New York Yankees, specifically against the New York Yankees, he's been extra lethal. But I just had a much better feeling knowing that that guy was not anywhere around the stadium to come in and ruin my night. Didn't have to worry about if he was on deck, if he was two batters away, three batters away, what would happen yeah. if he gets up in this inning. Didn't have to worry about that. Nope. And it's uh, I can't remember the last time I didn't have to worry about that because it seemed like in every big situation, especially at Fenway Park, that dude was strolling up at some point and, and would do damage. So, uh, yeah, it's a different lineup. When you're looking at that... Well, Pedroio not in as well, and but you're looking at these uh, this this Boston team. It's it's uh, it's different. It's definitely different seeing them without these uh, with those two guys. It certainly was ominous at Fenway Park. That fog. It looked like Stephen King's The Mist. 
It was crazy. Yeah. I was thinking something yeah. weird was going to happen. Chapman was only throwing 96, 97 miles an hour. That's like a changeup for him. What was going on? Yeah, Joe Kelly's in there throwing 100. Boy, I think he hit 101. Yeah, he threw the hardest pitch of the, the night. Was, yeah, the ball was just flying out of his hand, but Chapman couldn't get anything to go. So, hey, they walked. They 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 came out with the win. That's the important thing. And and hopefully tomorrow the uh, the marquee matchup of aces with Tanaka and Chris Sale. It's been a weird week because they had the off day on Monday and they got rained out on Tuesday. So there's only been that one game Wednesday night since we last recorded. How have you been filling your Yankees void? <laughs> um, catching up on graphics, making some uh, some some graphics of some new guys. You know, the, the typical thing a Yankee fan does on an off day and then a day that they get rained out. Um you know, preparing for this June 10th event, doing all these things. I got I got lots of back-end stuff to do these days. So Oh, good segue. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> with yeah, the June the, 10th the, event. The the day the extra day off was was uh was okay for, in my book. If you haven't heard, we're hosting an event on June 10th. The Yankees are playing the Orioles at Yankee Stadium and we are we have an awesome package to sell, and I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast already knows about it and a lot of people have already bought the tickets. But if you have not uh, you can find the link on any number of our social media websites. And uh, what is the link if you, if people want to go to it right now and buy tickets? That's a good question, Bob. It's I have no idea what the actual link is, but if you go to our if you go to our shop if you go to our fan shop, uh, it'll be on there somewhere. You'll see it. Just go to one of our social medias. It's there. And also, it's not hard to find. Also, later in this episode, we talked to Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal. We talked to him sort of about the Yankees uh, overall and sort of their organizational direction as well as some of the other stuff like the Jeter and Jeb news. Yeah, that's good stuff. I mean, he's now, so Jared, those of you who are familiar with Jared Diamond, his, he was a, uh, the Yankees beat writer last year for the wall street journal. He had covered the Mets in the past. Um, but now he's the national guy for, for the wall street journal. So he's got, you know, he's traveling around and, and got a, a broader scope of what's going on in baseball. So it was, I think it was interesting to hear uh, his take on some things and then kind of fly around the AL East a little bit too. So it was good stuff. He's a, he's a good dude. He's, he's definitely, um, I think one of the, I think one of the, the better writers than honestly, he's a, he's a good follow on Twitter also. Definitely. We talked to him for about a half hour. He was in the Pittsburgh uh, Pirates um, press box. He's down there covering a couple stories uh, in the National League. So we talked to him for about a half hour. Stay tuned for that. But Scott, on the on the Wednesday game we just watched, what do you think the biggest story is for the Yankees? That Judge is continuing to do his thing. He hit the bomb to right field, made that nice play, and it was his birthday. Or the fact that Severino continues to to impress and improve every time out. Yeah, I mean, for me, my takeaway was the Severino piece, the biggest takeaway. I mean, obviously, Judge just continues to do what he's doing. It was his birthday. He has a Jeter-esque catch going into the stands. I mean, come on, this guy scared? is just... Were you a little scared uh, when yeah. went tumbling in, that well, big body, going into some uh, hard metal seats? Yeah, it seemed like he was okay off like immediately, so it didn't, it didn't, he didn't go quite as far as Jeter did. The, the momentum wasn't there. It was more of a fly ball rather than a, you know, an outstretched running catch that he had but he was more under the ball I'd say but anyway yeah it was it was awesome like I love I love just seeing that type of hustle and that type of play from a guy who is um you know who who's been so good early in the year and you know just a marked improvement it's you just see the confidence growing in every at bat that he has I mean even the at bats that he's not 
you know, hitting home runs or doing damage on, you're seeing just better at bats. Um, I mean, he had one later in the game where he was just a little outmatched with that, with Joe Kelly when we were talking about that. He, he hit 101, but, you know, early in the game, he had some good at bats, and you're just seeing more of a progress from him. And it's exciting. It's really, really exciting to see. To see, uh, to see him do it. And then, you know, it's his birthday. Everybody's expecting him to do something. And then he did. Also a good sign, in my opinion, because when you're expected to do something, it's harder to do it. That home run he hit to the right field uh, bullpen at Fenway Park, that's a long way in right field at Fenway. And he took that ball in the inner half of the plate and sort of inside out of it, like Derek Jeter, like you were just saying, except Jeter would have <laughs> knocked it for a single. Judge hit it 390 feet. You know... Every pitcher in the American League or in baseball now, because interleague play, should be scared shitless when they saw what Aaron Judge just did. Not only can this man hit the ball 500 feet, you know, pulling the ball, going to left field, but he could pull, he can, he could hit that inside out pitch. He could hit that inside pitch and smack it to right field over a deep fence. I mean, that's, that's muscle. That's a, that is a skilled hitter right there. So, I mean, if he hits the, uh, that same ball, the book at Yankee is out. Stadium. This guy can hit. If he hits that same exact ball at Yankee Stadium, that's like in the right field bleachers. Yeah, that's how, it's an impressive. So it's if an he's impressive going, run. if he's going oppo at Yankee Stadium, I mean, fifty home runs is not out of the realm of possibility for him. Oh, here we go. Yeah, no, maybe sixty. You know, he's going to hit the ball out of the stadium. He's going to hit sixty-five home runs. It's going to be awesome. He just has to pop the ball up to right field. He's got that kind of power at Yankee Stadium, where that's at least going to reach the third or fourth row. No, it's true. He's gonna hit. He's gonna get a lot of uh, very cheap home runs to right field, and they're not gonna look cheap. But for him, they will be cheap because they will be just a regular fly ball that he, you know, just gets the bat on. He doesn't and do anything cheaply. I mean, every one of his balls, every one of his home run balls have have been hit. Yeah, the dude's impressive. He's he's extremely impressive. And like I said, the fact that it was his birthday today and everybody's expecting him to do something and then he goes out and does it. Not only does he hit a home run, but he makes a phenomenal defensive play. You know, he's wearing the eye black, looking like a freaking massive just just a dude out there. I mean, I do not I don't know who wants to even remotely mess with this guy, whether you're a pitcher, whether you're, you know, a catcher if he's coming down the line. I just just get out of the way. Because there's a freight train coming, and it's Aaron Judge. <laughs> I saw somebody on Twitter saying that, I think Jack Curry retweeted it, that why are the Yankees making him wear number 99? And I'm kind of thinking to myself, I'm pretty sure that's the most badass number there is. Oh, he was complaining about it? Like, yeah, it's he's a like, oh, that's a, that's, a, that's a minor league number. Disrespectful? I, yeah, something no. like that. You got to believe the judge had a lot to do with that. I mean, he 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 had well, to have been wearing it ever since the number. minors. Yeah, so that's that's not really you know the Yankees are not saying you must wear ninety nine. First of all, it's a brilliant move by him because he's the biggest dude out there wearing number ninety nine. Just fits perfectly. Judge has been the story early this season for the Yankees. There's been a lot of stories, but I feel like he's been the most popular one to talk about. We've talked about him so much. We've we we mentioned him every episode for. Obviously, for for good reason, it's something he did again on Wednesday. We we have to mention it, but but like you said, Severino continues to impress. So I loved what I saw out of Severino tonight. I love the confidence he shows on the mound. He yeah. struck out Hanley Ramirez with a nasty slider, and he had a little bounce in his step. Yeah, he did. Kind of hop back up to the mound, and that's showing me he's feeling it. He was he was never showed that last year, especially as a starter. So he's a completely different person this season versus last season. You're right. And the ball is just 
so easily flying out of his hand. I mean, they always talk about that that easy life on a ball. I mean, that's exactly what this dude has. He, it, it's effortless when he throws it, and the ball just jumps. And the um, the slider. I don't know what they did with the slider in the offseason or if Pedro Martinez actually did teach him something more because his slider is filthy and it was good before, but it is off the charts filthy right now. I mean, that thing looks, I mean, the when, when it's coming in, it's got such a late break that it you could see it spinning, but it almost looks like it's a fastball still. And then it breaks at the last second and it's nasty. He, he made people look really dumb today when he was uh, throwing that slider and then mixing in the changeup and the fastball. Good stuff. I mean, very impressive. It was, it was very similar to the last start without the mistake. And that was the biggest thing. Can you, could he come back from having a, almost a complete start, but giving up that, that late home run to then putting it all together against, you know, the most formidable commo- uh, opponent that the Yankees have seen. And that's exactly what he did. So super yeah. impressive. That last start, that he went eight innings, and that was the longest outing by a Yankees pitcher so far this season. So on the one hand, you're saying that's a great start, but you're right. He did make that one mistake that went for a three-run homer. I have some stats. Uh, Kenny Ducey on Twitter tweeted that uh, Severino threw 12 change-ups tonight, three for called strikes and one for a swinging strike. So only four out of 12 were strikes, but he threw it enough. Uh, he threw 100 pitches, so 12% of the time he threw a change-up. He threw it enough where the hitters have to respect it. Exactly. And that's what we've been talking about. When when he is on, all he has to do is show that he can throw it. Because when when you have that third pitch and the batter knows it's there, it's you know, that split second. And when you're throwing hundred miles or you know, high nineties, ninety-seven miles an hour, and that and that changeup is in the back of your mind, you gotta make a lot you know, a lot uh, faster decisions. So the fact that he's actually throwing it is just giving that enough of a doubt for the batter to say, hey, that's a fastball, that's a changeup. It's the same arm slot, it's the same everything. It just, you know, obviously jumps on you faster when it's the fastball. And then the whole point of the changeup is to look like a fastball but not be there. So, you know, he's, he had everything working tonight. He was really, really good. He was impressive. The stats are impressive in, in and of itself, but my key takeaway, like I said, is his confidence. We said... A few weeks ago, it's really important for him to get off to a good start because we think he may have been a little bit mentally weak and a bad start may have gotten him discouraged, but he's been off to a good start. I think this was his fifth start of the season and they've all been, uh, he hasn't had a bad one yet. He's had some mediocre ones, but he's either been really good or at least average. So it's a huge step forward for Severino and it is so important for this rotation going forward this season and, and in the future. And and you're absolutely right. Getting off to a, a good start is not only just important, obviously, on the field for wins and losses, but when you're a young guy like that who's experienced a you know some some trouble and your pro career was off to a good start, then you completely shattered it, and it was you know it almost came down crumbling down. To get that early confidence and to build on that confidence and to know in the back of your mind that you can do it will definitely help him this year too when he does hit those bad spots because he's going to hit a slump. You know, he's going to have bad starts. But the fact that he had that early confidence and that early success to me is huge with the, with, you know, w- between his ears because we've seen what it was last year with him being a little bit more of a, a weaker mental player. That's huge because he can rely on that now. He can look back and say, okay, no, I've done it. I know I can do it. And, and then just move forward. So exactly, you know, all around, all around so big. When he gave up the three-run homer against the White Sox in his post-game interview, he didn't talk like somebody who was discouraged. He talked like somebody that he just made a mistake and he's going to learn from it and move on. So 
Severino's showing all the signs of what we hoped he could be, and that's awesome. Severino and Judge have been the stories of the positives of the young kids. Bird, Gardner, Holiday have all kind of been struggling. Uh, Bird finally got a big hit tonight. He got uh, he drove in Judge with a ball off the wall, which ended up being a big a big run. At least gave them a little bit more of a comfortable lead. Uh, I keep hearing people saying Bird is so close to busting out. He hit five balls in Pittsburgh that would have been hits at Yankee Stadium or hits at Fenway Park or whatever it may be. But I see him at the plate, and I feel like his swing is long. It looks loopy. He looks he still looks kind of lost at the plate to me. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, I don't really understand why people are harping on. They, people keep talking about the foul, the two foul balls that he hit. It were almost home runs in Pittsburgh. Like, okay, they were foul balls. I mean, Ronald Torres yeah. crushed a ball to left field today. We talk. We're going to talk about that next week. Saying he almost hit a home run. Josh Rutledge almost won the game with a foul ball home run. It doesn't count yeah, for shit. Yeah. Exactly. Nobody's going to remember that. It doesn't. It doesn't mean anything. It was a foul ball. It could have been a you know a, a dribbler off his foot, but. I, I kind of agree. I, I still don't think he looks comfortable at the plate. And we, you know, we saw this, uh, I think it was during the Chicago series or maybe early in the Pittsburgh series when he hit that double uh, or when he got that big hit and, you know, was, I think he had like an over 18 or he had a long hitless streak that he got out of. And everybody's like, he's back, he's back, he's back. And, um, and then he just went right back into a rut and, you know, he had a home run. That's what it was, it was against the Cardinals. It. it was, uh, yeah, two it was so long ago. It was a long time ago. Someone, I mean, so you know, who they've knows? They've been off for a long time, and he he sat the day after he went three for three with the home run. So that's that's true. So you know, I you can't tell if he's back unless you know, you know, and that he's on the right path unless we see some, you know, sustained hitting from him over a, a few games. I mean, it's it's way too early to tell. It's one hit today, you know. Yeah, I agree though. He didn't look comfortable. Yes, and I want to talk about Gardner, who is still leading off. And I, he got one, I believe he got one hit today. It was kind of like a soft line drive. I think Girardi is waiting until Didi comes back, which we've seen Didi might be back as soon as this weekend. He's having a really good rehab assignment. He's hitting 429 for, for single A so far. So Didi is very close to being back. But I think once Didi is back, we might see Ellsbury shift to the leadoff spot and then Didi move into that role that Ellsbury's kind of playing, which is an unconventional number four hitter. You don't think it's vice versa? Because uh, no, Ellsbury's I don't think he's hitting gonna... for the first time in a long time, and you think Girardi's going to move him out of that four spot or out of that five spot after I, I, he's been hitting? I, I do, yeah. I don't think he's going to put Didi leading off. As, at least, I don't I still it think it doesn't feel like a Girardi move. It doesn't feel like a Girardi like move. move. Although he has been doing things that have surprised me this season. That's correct. But I, I, what I'm saying is it doesn't feel like a Girardi move to take a, the veteran Ellsbury who's been hitting well in the 4-5 spot and put him back in the leadoff spot and, and to, I don't know, just oh, no, for see, me I it think, doesn't. I think it does because that's Ellsbury's quote-unquote traditional spot. Yeah, I mean, if he can hit there, I don't know. I don't know what his mental capacity is at this point in his career. I have no idea. We but got a bunch what, of guys what I have think to coddle. Is, it's not, not yeah. good. What I think is going to happen is we're going to see more Aaron Hicks. Uh, we're yeah. going to see a lot more Aaron Hicks might if, not be a if bad Gardner thing. continues to struggle. Yeah, because what is wrong with you? You're talking about not a bad thing to see Aaron Hicks. We're already going to... Who else were you going to suggest to lead off? There, there was somebody else I think that's uh, that's that's in our notes. I'm looking at right here. Yeah, I that think says I'm too- in parentheses. It says it says Chase Headley in parentheses. <laughs> Am I going crazy in the in the notes? So yeah, you've you've at least toyed with that with your in your in your head about Girardi moving Chase Headley to the leadoff spot. You know, not when crazy it though. Me, you know when it struck me when I saw <laughs> Headley steal like his fifth base of the season. Yeah, he's. They keep saying sneaky fast. Maybe he's hey, just fast. 
Listen, there's, there's, I know three things about Chase Headley right now. One, he's getting on base. Two, he's somehow stealing bases. And three, every time he throws across the diamond, I still shit my pants. So, but he, and he's and four, he's got a phenomenal haircut. He's he, phenomenal haircut. That was that was uh, one of your your better memes ever. <laughs> Thank and you. And if people don't know what we're talking about, uh, Scott found a picture of Headley from last season at his locker, pretty much in the same pose as a post game locker uh, conference as this season, and he looks like a completely he looks like the same person, but like he just got a makeover. Like his hair is slicked up <laughs> yeah. nice. He looks a little a little bit more tan. Maybe he went out. Yeah. Maybe he went out golfing a little bit more during spring training. Who knows? Yeah, he's you know he's mowing the lawn with his shirt off. He's just like he's just confident now. He's he's going out there with these like what the neighbors. I don't. It doesn't matter. I'm Chase Headley, 2017. It's fine. <laughs> I will cut my lawn with my shirt off, and no one will say anything because that's what I'm doing. I'm leading the majors in on base percentage. It's fine. Come at is me. he? Is that and, true? Is that fake I don't news? know if it is any. It it was last week. He was leading it. It's probably leading I don't know the where Yankees it is now. in OBP. He was leading the league for for a, after a significant period, but humor um, me for a second because that that because he's got really good on base percentage numbers right now. He might not be the worst leadoff hitter for this team at this moment. And if I'm saying that, <laughs> one of the most the people who hates Chase who has hated on Chase Headley the most in the past year and a half, then you know he must be playing well. I did feel like I was going crazy, like I was drugged or something. Maybe, maybe you drugged me somehow. Yeah, I mean, I think you're just realizing after the entire offseason of me telling you that Chase Headley's a really nice guy, that right. that it does, you know, nice guys do finish first. Chase Headley we'd, is is going to be is he's bucking the trend. We'd have the <laughs> nicest leadoff hitter in the league. Yeah, well, and a high on base percentage, which is phenomenal too. So it's unconventional. Yeah, I mean, it's not the worst. It, it but, is unconventional, but Girardi's doing things that are unconventional. This right. league right now is doing unconventional things. I think Madden example, had. Did, did yeah, he have he were, uh, Schwarber? Was I going to say the, Schwarber? Right? Yeah. He stole. You stole yeah. the words out of my mouth. So yeah, Schwarber, Schwarber can lead off. Batting Headley off. can. Yeah, no doubt. And you know why not? Let's. I mean, I just. I think that. Let's get nuts. I think that Girardi is is going to do some. I could even see Didi leading off for a little bit. To tell you the truth, I could see some some unique things happening. Maybe once um, he gets, I just his feel feet like Ellsbury. Back. I feel like after Ellsbury is finally hitting, I, I feel like Girardi's not going to mess with him. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't mean, Ellsbury, Ellsbury's hitting, but he's not lighting it up in the four spot. I mean, he's kind of. He, what is the he Yankees hitting? are scoring runs. The Yankees are doing well. They're. They're 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 doing good things, and Jacoby Ellsbury is hitting in a position to drive runs in, and it's working. I just so, think I would it, like to see Didi in that spot because we know Didi one can hit lefties really well. He had really good numbers with runners on base, and especially in runners in scoring position last season. Yeah, and he hit twenty home runs games. last year. Yeah, and I mean he was clutch. He had a lot of clutch moments, and he was he batting fifth for the Netherlands team, and he had well, I mean, two two homers in. No, that lineup's legit. They got Xander Bogart, Xander Bogarts, Angelton Simmons. That that was a legit lineup. Angelton Simmons is barely a major league hitter, but whatever. The, it was a legit. I, lineup. I, I'm not. Comp- I, it was an okay lineup. I'm not. I'm not comparing the Netherlands lineup to the Yankees lineup, though. And in the sense that that he's going to be in a same a similar spot. My point. Stands. I think that uh, your point does not stand. I think that he's going to have to get some time under his belt for sure. Yeah. Uh, to to get him major league major league uh, ready again. I mean, yeah, he was lighting it up in single A, but he was in single A. So, you know, he's he's in single A. You see single A pitching. So the fact that he's going to come back, yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if Girardi 
you know, tried to get him going early, you know, uh, high in the lineup. Uh, but and then eventually start moving him into a, a more a more a position where he can drive in some runs. But this I don't know. Team, the beautiful thing is this is the, it's a good problem because we have a lot of guys who are hitting right now. And and Girardi seems to be very flexible with this lineup. The thing I would I just I would like to see them ride the hot hand. And right now the hot hand is is Chase Headley and <laughs> actually Aaron Hicks. Aaron Hicks is actually yeah. the hot hand right now. And he had that terrible at bat in Pittsburgh where he couldn't even put the freaking bat on the ball. Uh, in the ninth inning on Sunday. But how many times have we heard, well, Aaron Hicks plays better when he gets regular playing time. So give him regular playing time because Brett Gardner's hitting like 150. Yeah, I just don't see the long, I, I don't see the play for for staying with Gardner the entire time because, you know, we all know what's in the minor leagues. We know what's coming. Aaron Hicks, they keep talking about. It's not like Brett Gardner has a long-term place on this team. So there really shouldn't be anything keeping him there. I mean, th- th- it's no longer that, situation you know what I mean like I understand last year where there's there's people the old guard is is changing hands it's it's no longer like that anymore I mean we're, we're ready to move on everybody's ready to move on if Gardner's struggling and uh, then then he should then he should be on the bench for a guy who's got the hot hand similar to what happened last year with Headley and Torres Torres got a lot more playing time when he was hot and he stayed in the game and I think that's what they should do with Hicks they should play the hot hand in left field yeah, and I think Girardi uh, is – I think we're going to see it from Girardi this year. I think he – like how many times have you and I talked about this, that because he's not tied down to these veterans anymore, he can he can shift this roster or shift this lineup around with the roster of young guys that he has. Yeah, and everybody seems to be feeding off of each other. So there, there are no major issues with, you know, anybody's uh, personality or – you know, you know who they are as a player. I mean, there, there's no guy like that on this team. So he's he's in perfect position to do anything he wants. Good stuff. So coming up, we talk to Jared Diamond. We also get into the Yankees Red Sox rivalry, and if it is do- uh, dormant or or if it's uh, dead or whatever it is, it didn't feel dead to me tonight. I don't know about you. It didn't feel dead, but it didn't feel like it was a, a huge rivalry. I mean, it just felt there was tension at the end of the game, so maybe that was something. Yeah, yeah, I was going. I mean, I want it. I think it. Dep- I think we're we're talking about the rivalry. You got to. It's almost a generational thing at this point. I, I just hope it renews so that new new Yankee fans, newer Yankee fans, can feel that hatred that I felt, and it felt so good to hate them because it does. It feels good to hate them. I'm sorry, but it does. <laughs> All I know is that. If the Yankees were in that same position in, say, Kansas City or even Toronto or Tampa Bay or a division rival, other than the Red Sox, I am not on on that sort of gut-wrenching pins and needles like I was in the ninth inning on Wednesday. Yeah, no, I mean, that's true. The, the games at the end, you want to lose a hell of a lot less <laughs> to the Red Sox. Yeah, that makes it so much There's worse. no doubt. Yeah. There's All no right. doubt. Stay tuned for the interview with Jared Diamond. And uh, in the meantime, rate and review the podcast in iTunes or Google Play, Stitcher Radio, wherever it is you listen. Give us those five stars if you enjoy the show. Thanks, and we will talk to you guys in a few days. We now welcome onto the show Jared Diamond. He is uh, the baseball writer for Wall Street Journal Sports at Jared Diamond on Twitter. Jared, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So it's been a surprising start for the Yankees season, and I know you've covered them closely in the past and you, you've been closely following them this season. 
Are you buying their success so far? You know, I was always, I think, a little bit higher on the Yankees than most observers. I, I read a lot going into the season about the Yankees, you know, finishing in last place in the AL East or winning 75 games. And I never really thought that team was, this team was that. Uh, I always sort of had this Yankee team pegged at somewhere the 85 to 86, you know, 84, 85, 86 win mark. And I haven't seen anything that will make me change my mind on that yet, but they certainly played really well. I think it was really important that they got off to a good start if they were going to compete. And I still believe that we'll get into September and they'll be playing games that matter. Now, I don't necessarily think they'll be making the playoffs. I think a lot of things need to break right for that to actually happen. But if you get into September and you're still in the hunt and you're playing games that count, you know, it only takes a few breaks to go from 85 wins to 88 wins. And then all of a sudden you are talking about a wild card. So I think it's going to be a, a frustrating but ultimately fun summer in the Bronx. Yeah, I think when you're talking about a team like this, like you said, there were a lot of a lot of analysts or, you know, the, the guys who were looking at what was going to happen in the season. They're, they're putting the Yankees towards the bottom of the division. But when you look at what's happened already and you see a lot of the younger guys doing well from the beginning, I think that kind of changes minds because, you know, you, you think that throughout the season they get more comfortable, they get more used to the majors, the, the, the team starts gelling more, and that, you know, theor- theoretically you could progress. Um, there's a couple guys starting slow now, Greg Bird and, and Brett Gardner, but what do you – Take about the early success moving forward and and how that can change the dynamic of the team. Look, Aaron Judge is going to cool down eventually. He's been fantastic so far, and I think he's going to have a good year. He's probably not going to hit for as high of an average as he's hitting right now, but I do think you'll continue to see the power. Uh, Greg Bird seems like he's getting ready to go on a tear. I mean, he's <laughs> really struggled, but he's hit some balls hard. We saw him hit a couple of I think two balls that looked like could have been home runs that were just foul. He's hit a couple line drives that have been caught. I think Greg Bird's going to be fine, and the Yankees are doing the right thing by just riding it out. This is what you get when you say we're going to go to our young players. You are committing to riding out these stretches, which are going to come. It's going to come with Aaron Judge at some point. Does he go into a massive slump where he's striking out all the time, and the Yankees will just have to ride it out. Same with Greg Bird now. He will get hot. But I, I believe in a lot of these young guys. Gary Sanchez will come back. I'm sure he will probably not be as good as he was last August, but you know, be a big contributor for this team. These are three really good players that have a chance to be a part of the Yankees for a long time. I think it's great that after so many years of just kind of treading water with veterans, that the Yankees are willing to just give these guys a chance to go through the whole season. It, it's just going to be worthwhile. We'll pay off at the end. Yeah, you said that they're willing, and while I agree, and it seems like they are so far, we've seen time and time again in recent years where the ownership does a 180, and it and they, they go out and sign a big-name free agent, whether it was like Jacoby Ellsbury or something like that. Do you really have full confidence this ownership is committed, uh, and that even if they're maybe pushing um, potential playoffs this season, that they won't do anything silly at the trade deadline? The reason I believe it is because of what we saw last year. You know, I never, so many of us never believed that the Steinbrenners would agree to basically have a trade deadline fire sale and dump everybody and just go let the prospects play. And it took a lot of convincing. Brian Cashman's made no, he's not hid the fact that it took a lot of convincing to get Hal Steinbrenner to agree to trade Aroldis Chapman and Yvonne Nova and everyone else. They traded Carlos Beltran. But eventually he agreed. And I think he saw 
the potential by doing that. I think the fact that Gary Sanchez was so great down the stretch last year and the fact that the Yankees took what looked like a terrible season and made it a worthwhile season with how they played after the trade deadline, I think that really opened up Hal Steinbrenner's eyes to what the potential is when you actually do go down this road. And I think it's going to help that the Yankees aren't probably, in my mind, are not going to be terrible. This is not going to be a 75-win team, I don't think. It's going to be a team that's at least going to be competitive and fun to watch. I think things would be different if they were going full you know, Astros or Padres where they were winning 70 games and were awful. They're not that. And I think because of that, they'll be willing to ride it out, especially knowing that we're not too far away from that big free agent class where they will be spending a billion dollars for Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. Uh, it's not too far away. We're also not too far away from the young players who are also in the minors, like Clint Frazier and Gleyber Torres and Blake Rutherford, and the list of prospect go- prospects goes on, where we could see them in 2018 and 2019 as well. So it's not like only the young players on this team are all that the Yankee fans have to look forward to. The Yankees are set up as well as any team in the major leagues right now, knowing that you're going to potentially go into 2019 with at least one big free agent, you have to imagine. And with all these young guys they have, the three we've seen so far, guys like Torres and Frazier, if just two of them, two, one, two, three of them are any good by 2019, which I don't think is that unrealistic to believe that two of this group of six or seven guys could be good, then all of a sudden you really have something. Uh, and I think the Yankees know that, and it's just a matter of letting these guys play. I have a feeling we'll see Clint Frazier at some time this season. Maybe Glaber Torres. I'm not totally sure about that. He's still farther away, I think, farther away than some Yankee fans realize just because he had not played above single single A until really this year, and now he's injured. So I don't necessarily think we'll see Torres this year, but next year for sure I think we'll see Frazier you know, relatively quickly. So it's it's coming. It's coming soon, and we're already seeing – what it could lead to. Backtracking a little bit, I thought it was interesting that you were talking about how Cashman was, you know, petitioning basically to, you know, make sure that Hal Steinbrenner realized that this was a, a process and, and that they could go back and rebuild and not just go out and buy somebody. Did you get that that in impression that Cashman is now, he, he's almost, um, I don't want to say allowed to do his job, but it seems like back when Cano was looking for that new contract and they went and signed Ellsbury, it didn't feel like a Cashman move, in my opinion. It felt like it was coming down from the top. So looking at the, you know, what the, the kind of the scope is with Cashman and the relationship with Steinbrenner, what do you, what do you think, uh, you know, his role is moving forward as far as, you know, is, is he allowed to, to construct this team kind of the way he wants it? Are they listening to him more? Look, these are still the Yankees, which means they're never going to go full-on rebuild. You're never going to see the Yankees do what the Houston Astros did and just blow everything up. That's not going to happen. Like I said, still the Yankees, still the big bad Yankees with all the money and all the prestige. It's not going to change. I don't think that they necessarily view this as a full rebuild. This is a full rebuild by Yankee standards, but by any other team standard, what they're doing right now is not quite full rebuild. I mean, they did just go out and sign Aroldis Chapman to a four-year contract this offseason. A team that's in full rebuild doesn't do that. But I do think, all that said, that Hal Steinbrenner at least recognizes that when the team was good, when the team was winning, and when the team was extremely popular 
and making tons of money, not that they're like now, but was filling up a 55,000 seat ballpark every day, mm-hmm. was when they had a lot of homegrown players, players that fans really liked. And that's something the team has lacked. Even you know since 2009, even that 09 team, it just didn't have the same connection with fans the way those teams from the late 90s and early 2000s did. And the difference is the, the relationship between the fans and the players. And the Yankees are right now building a team where potentially fans could have that positive relationship with this group of players again. And I think that's something that's really been missing for quite a long time for the Yankees. It's not just enough to have great players. Fans like players that they really feel like they connect with, that they respond to, that they grow up with. Uh, and I don't know about you guys, maybe younger, younger fans than I have had a different experience, but I just don't think it's been the same you know, for the last five, six, seven, eight years. Totally. If you're, say, a baseball fan of the Yankees right now and you're maybe 16 or 18 years old, I don't really know who you would feel a connection to. Like, I felt a connection to Derek Jeter, Bernie Williams, Paul O'Neill, all of those guys in the 90s. I don't know who you would have really connected with in 2012 and 2013. Sure. There were some guys a little bit later. I think fans uh, have had sort of an on and off relationship with CeCe Sabathia. Uh, you know, fans love Tadeki Matsui. You know, I know that's one guy. He was not part of that, you know, quote-unquote core four that fans really loved. I think fans had some moments with Jason Giambi where they really liked him, but I agree. Just in general, it's not the same. Uh, and I think you have a chance to see that with this group. I think fans have already shown uh, how much they love Aaron Judge. He's been a guy that fans seem like they've really taken to just personality-wise, plus his talent, Gary Sanchez as well. I think fans will really like Greg Bird. Uh, it's fun. Clint Frazier, even. We haven't seen him in the big leagues yet, but just the way he is on social media, his personality, uh, this is a, an opportunity for Yankee fans to really grow with this group. And I think that's really the perfect storm. It's what worked so well for the Yankees for, you know, all those years when they were winning all those titles. And, and you social, social media is perfect. I mean, just like saying that these guys, it is the younger generation, but the guys that are on the Yankees right now, they're very good at it. I mean, they're, they're good at the social media aspect, and I think that's one of the big reasons why a lot of the younger fans are keying on to these young guys. I mean, they, they just, it seems like they get it. Yeah, and it's so different, too. Could you imagine the, the, the Jeter Williams of the world doing this? It would never happen. And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not, like, Derek Jeter's still to this day and hasn't played in a few years among the most popular baseball people on earth. So everything he did obviously worked, but I think it's cool to have some Yankees actually showing some personality and stepping out a little bit. I know the Yankees seem like they're trying to neuter them and that whole Clint Fraser nonsense in spring training. It was ridiculous, but I hope that the Yankees really allow these guys to show their personality because frankly, it's just, it's fun. It's what people want. It's not quite what the Yankees are accustomed to doing, but I think they'll find out if they let it happen, they will enjoy the results. You've covered, obviously, you're covering now for the Wall Street Journal on a national level. So you've been in a lot of clubhouses as well as in the Yankees clubhouse from day to day. The Yankees, like you just said, may try and neuter some of their players in the public. But as far as what goes on in the clubhouse, do you think the Yankees have a similar sort of atmosphere as other clubhouses or is it more tight? Is it more, um, more, more pressure or anything like that? The Yankees definitely try to cultivate chemistry in a different way than many teams. You know, let's compare them to the Cubs. The Cubs are the team du jour, right? They're the best team in baseball. The Cubs could not be any more different than the Yankees. That clubhouse is as loose as it gets, where personality is encouraged to be shown. 
Uh, that starts with the manager, starts with the front office, with Theo Epstein. These are guys that really value individualism and want their players to sort of express themselves. The Yankees try to cultivate chemistry, and I don't mean this in a negative way, with conformity. They believe that the the pinstripes, that the NY on the you know chest of the jersey is the most important thing in the world, and that by wearing it, you sort of belong to this fraternity of, of Yankees. And it, I can't say it doesn't work, because it does. The Yankees have never, you know, I wouldn't say never, but when they had success and through all these years, they, they never didn't have good chemistry. You could have good chemistry different ways. You don't have to be the 04 Red Sox or the, the 2016 Cubs to have chemistry, but it's definitely different. The clubhouse is definitely uh, quieter, a little more buttoned down, a little more, you know, quote unquote professional. And I, I say that with air quotes, but I think that's the way the Yankees view it. There's clearly a hierarchy of sort of who the leaders are and those leaders lead by example. But it is different now. This is a much different Yankee team than really we've seen in the last 20 years because there is no, there's no more Derek Jeter. There's no more Jorge Posada. Even there's no more, even last year we had Alex Rodriguez and Carlos Beltran who really ran things similar to how the Jeter Yankees did. Now they're gone. So this is a clubhouse now that's controlled by who? Who's the leader of this team? CC Sabathia, maybe Brett Gardner. And it's definitely different. I think it's going to continue to move that direction as the team gets younger. And let's face it, if the Yankees are going to bring Bryce Harper into the fold, if that actually happens, <laughs> uh, I have a feeling they're going to have to l- lighten up a little bit. because I don't think Bryce Harper is going to ever be Derek Jeter. Well, Bryce Harper, when he gets that, that giant contract, can do whatever that you know whatever he wants basically at that point because, I mean, he will. It seems like if he gets a, a contract even close to what people say, he'll have the upper hand in, in every conversation. Uh, but you're talking about the the clubhouse, and you've also been on the Mets side. You've covered the Mets as a beat writer as well. Now Noah Syndergaard came out and he said, you know, this is New York. This is a Mets town now. A lot of Yankee fans took, you know, took that with a. With a little bit of a you know tongue in cheek, and I'm curious as your to your opinion, being in both clubhouses, who's the most popular team in New York? Uh, it's a tough. It's a really <laughs> tough question. It's a tougher question than you think. I think it's more nuanced than some people think. Obviously, the Yankees are the most popular team in baseball, and I think that will always be the case. Uh, but New York's a strange market. A lot of Yankee fandom it extends beyond new york and I, I say that as a compliment to them where they transcend their city their town their market and are really a global entity whereas the mets to me feel much more like a quote-unquote local team than the yankees do when when you're around the yankees you are aware that this is this is bigger than new york and it's very hard to be bigger than new york but the yankees are whereas the mets to me have always felt kind of like the little like plucky sort of like a different version of New York. Like the Yankees are the version of New York that, you know, where there are skyscrapers and a lot of money and a lot of prestige. And the Mets are sort of the New York where you have like construction workers going into the city to like build those buildings. It's five o'clock. Queens. Queens. Yeah. Or in Queens, (laughs) you know, it's like a different, it's like a different vibe. I I think Mets fans in general are a little more insane a little crazier mm-hmm. than Yankee fan, just in terms of like the day-to-day obsessiveness uh, with every last little piece of minutia about their teams, where Yankee fans, I think, are a lot less self-conscious <laughs> about their team and are willing to just kind of like disconnect 
every once in a while. And honestly, I think that's a good thing. I think Mets fans, and they know I've made this point many times to their face, <laughs> I need to take a deep breath. It's all going to be okay. Yankee fans, I think, are a lot more comfortable with their own fandom. But, you know, when the Mets are good, there is a different feeling in New York to me than when the Yankees are good. But I think that's partially because the Mets aren't very good most of the time, where the Yankees are right. usually good. So the Mets being good is more of like an event that brings people together than the Yankees being good. The Yankees being good is almost expected. So they're both good fan base. I do think hardcore Yankee fans sometimes get the short end of the stick because people believe all Yankee fans are bandwagon fans or there really aren't any hardcore true Yankee fans. I don't believe that's true. I know they're out there. But hardcore Mets fans are a different animal. I don't know if there's any fan base that's quite like hardcore Mets fans. I think it goes back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago where we, a lot of fans maybe of the Yankees, haven't felt that deep connection to the players. And with these new crop of young players coming up, we have that chance finally. I think if this team currently competes for a playoff spot and if they make the playoffs next year, then you could start to see that obsessive, compulsive fan come back into Yankee Stadium. Yeah, the quality of the team matters a lot for sure. When, you know, in 1996, I was eight years old. Uh, by 2000, you know, I was 12. And it felt like a Yankee town then definitively. There was no way we'd even have this conversation. Even when both teams were in the World Series, there was really no doubt from 96 to 2003 or so uh, whose town this was. And, I, you know, I think it's kind of a silly conversation because there probably isn't just – it's both. It belongs to both of them. And it so much has to do with who's playing well at the time and what's going on. And it's just – it's hard to compare – but yeah, look, right now the Mets seem to be good. They're struggling right now, but they're, they seem to be probably better than the Yankees right now. So, of course, it's going to seem a little more Mets-centric. Uh, a year or two from now, all of a sudden, Matt Harvey might walk, and who knows what happens with the Mets. And the Yankees have Bryce Harper, and then it's, we're not having this conversation anymore. So these things kind of – they're kind of flip-flop. I want to go around the AL East right now and the speaking more to, to uh, the the incident that happened with Manny Machado, Dustin Pedroia, Matt Barnes over the weekend and the whole, I guess, now rivalry between Baltimore and Boston has brought up the New York-Boston rivalry, which seems to be pretty much dead. Uh, first of all, on that, that dust-up between Baltimore and Boston – that whole unwritten rule thing, where do you land on that? Because I feel like every time in April or May when the first one of these incidents happens, we have this unwritten rules discussion. Look, I've come to peace with the fact that the culture of the game right now is such that you have to throw at someone if something happens. It's just the way of the world. Uh, I don't really like it. I understand it's been a part of the game for a long time. I don't love it. I think it's just kind of petty and silly and what is it really accomplishing? But it's, I understand it's part of it, but look, what happened with Matt Barnes was that was a real problem because that, that pitch was up around Machado's head. Now I know it Red Sox fans. I've heard from a lot of them, what they're going to say, which is, well, he wasn't trying to throw in Machado's head. And I believe that I, you know, I don't know Matt Barnes very well personally, but I can't imagine he was trying to hit Manny Machado in the head, but I just don't think that matters because the point is when you have the ball in your hand, you're on the mound, you're responsible for the ball and where it goes and what mattered to me is that the pitch was up around his head. Uh, whether or not he was trying to doesn't is irrelevant. He he came close, and that's a huge problem. And that's why I understand why uh, there was so much outcry. I think he should have been suspended longer. I know precedent says four games. 
Uh, I don't think that's enough because a pitch around a player's head is, you know, you're really talking about a player's career, talking about his life, you know, the quality of his life. If he were to hit in the head, it could have been really serious. Fortunately, it didn't hit him. Uh, but I just think the whole thing was a bad look for, for everybody. Doesn't that, though, raise an issue, though? Say he had just hit him right in the middle of the back. Would he have got – Would there there wouldn't be this outrage. But that's what he was trying to do. So he he's suspended for making the mistake of throwing around his head, not for throwing at him. You know, guys get suspended for throwing at guys. They do. When, when We've seen suspensions for when it's clear that a, a pitch at a batter – is intentional. It might not get the same level of outcry or maybe not the same length of suspension, but it's not, it's not unheard of or impossible. But another thing we have to remember is these major league pitchers are capable of locating a ball literally to the inch beyond inch. I mean, these, these guys are able to put the ball exactly where they want to. So to make a mistake by that much to miss by that much, honestly, that's, that's a problem. Again, I'm not saying he was trying to hit him in the head. I realize you're not really used to throwing at the hitter, so you might just be a little off. But that said, these guys are paid a lot of money because they're able to put a ball literally to the inch over the plate. You can't miss by that much. You have to be more careful than that. The So we're talking about the, the actual rivalry, if there is one now, between the Red Sox and the Orioles. Maybe there will be. Maybe there's some, 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 uh, some nice little animosity because, to tell you the truth, as a baseball fan, it's fun to watch sometimes. Not throwing at people's heads, but just a little bit of tension. It's a good thing. Do you think the Yankees and Red Sox rivalry is actually dead, or do you think this is just dormant and maybe this younger crop of players on both teams, there, there can be some resurgence of, of this rivalry? Yeah, it's definitely not dead. I think it's silly that people are trying to say that it's dead. Of course it's not dead. It's just not as big as it was right now because, you know, the Yankees haven't been that great and the Red Sox at times haven't been that great. It's just it's better when both teams are good, and soon that will be the case again, I'm sure, and a different crop of players will come in and spice it up. Uh, these things, again, they are cyclical. They ebb and flow. We think so much about how great the Yankee rivalry with the Red Sox was in 03 and 04 and all those years. But... It really wasn't that great at times before that. I don't really think of Yankee Red Sox scenes from 1998 as being particularly intense, right? Or 1993, or it's not, this is not the first time the Yankee Red Sox rivalry has kind of been dormant, as you put it. Uh, it'll come back because it just takes the right group of players and both teams being good helps. And hopefully they have another playoff series like 03 when that was really the peak of it. It'll come back again. I don't know when. I'm not sure you'll ever quite. I don't know when we'll get back to what it was like in 03, 04, when it was really. I don't think we'll. I don't think. Yeah, they. they, Once they won a World Series, I feel like the tension in Boston has been released because you know at that point they were waiting and waiting and waiting, and the Yankees were were the you know the evil empire quote unquote that was knocking them down, and that's that's all gone now. Yeah, okay, so maybe it will never be like that again, but it'll, it'll be it'll be big again. I, I assure you. I don't know when, uh, but it will. Just take the right group of players. It's still a great rivalry, and give it a few years. We might have a totally different uh, approach. Right, look at this in three years. Before we uh, wrap up, I got to ask you about the dynamic duo of Derek Jeter and Jeb Bush, reportedly uh, having the high bid for the Marlins. Are you surprised that we're already here with Derek Jeter and owning a team? Because I feel like he said this very recently. I think it was like 2014 when he was on his retirement tour that he wanted to be part of an ownership group. And a few years later, here we are. 
Well, I do want to caution first that this sale is far from a done deal. You know, we Absolutely. have some reporting in the Wall Street Journal now uh, that as recently as Monday afternoon, they were frantically calling uh, bankers and investors trying to get hundreds of millions of dollars locked up. And they are really not particularly close in getting the amount of money that they're going to need to buy the team. So I think we have to maybe hold our horses a little before we start putting Jeter in a Marlins cap. It's, it's not there yet. Jeb Bush and Derek Jeter have a lot of money, but it costs a lot more money to buy a baseball team. And right now they don't have it. But all that aside, let's assume that it does get done, which I guess ultimately it looks like we're moving that direction. I'm a little surprised, but I'm not shocked, only because I think most people believe that the natural fit for Jeter would be the Rays because of his connection to Tampa. It just seemed like a good team for him to eventually have a piece of. But the reality is the Rays might not be available anytime soon. They have a pretty good owner, Stuart Sternberg, and they might get a new stadium or they might relocate. Who knows what's going on with them? This was an opportunity. The Marlins were a team that's available. I think it's a team that that Jeter might see as with untapped potential in a market that kind of needs a good owner after having one that has not exactly been the favorite of everyone for a while. Uh, and again, you only have 30 teams. They don't come around that much. So when one becomes available, especially in the state that Derek spent most of his time in now, uh, it's hard not to to jump in. And that's what he did. Why do you think he wants to own a team so badly? Because this just seems so out of character for him. And obviously, I don't know him. And he was extremely reserved as a player. And he's been in reserved in, in post-retirement life. I just can't, I can't really picture him in that role. I, I think he's a control freak a little bit. <laughs> and, I, and I say that in a nice way. I think, look, when you're an owner, you're the boss. And he is a leader. He's always been a leader. He's a leader as a player. And... Being an owner, in some ways, the ultimate leader. You're in charge of an entire multi-zillion dollar business. Uh, and look, Derek Jeter's not going to be the quote-unquote uh, primary owner if this, well, everything we're hearing right now, seems that Jeb Bush would be, whereas Jeter would be a big part of it and be a public face, but not necessarily the number one guy. Uh, I think it's a good. I think it's a role that he sees himself in. It's one of you know, big boss, ultimate leader, ultimate ultimate manager sort of thing. Do I, will he do a good job? I have no idea. I have no idea if he's going to do a good job at being an owner, but I think he believes he will, and that's enough. He has the money. He has the desire, and it's interesting. It's going to be fascinating if he really does buy the Marlins the first time they play the Yankees, especially in New York. Yeah. That's going to be really weird. Well, it's because he's got his retirement number coming up this uh, next month, so there's just a lot of stuff that's it's kind of funny timing, I think. Yeah, but look, I don't... Michael Jordan owns the Charlotte Hornets. Does that take anything away Very from true. Jordan with the Bulls? I saw some people tweeting, you know, is it going to be weird that they're retiring his number the same year and he might be the Marlins owner? I don't think he'll be even close to done by then, by the way. But regardless, no, I don't think it's weird. I, he's not buying the Yankees. Terry Jeter's not buying the Yankees. That's not realistic. It never would be realistic. So it doesn't take away the fact that he's been a Yankee for 20 years and will always be remembered as a Yankee just because he owns a different team. And I think the, the Michael Jordan comp with the Hornets, the good is a, the right way of looking at it. No one thinks of Michael Jordan as a Hornet, even though he owns the Hornets. He's a bull that's never going to change. It, it is well, funny, are, the circle of life, the, the, with Mattingly being the manager and Mattingly towards the end of his career when Jeter comes in. And it, it, is, it is funny how things circle back. I can't wait till A-Rod's working for the Marlins. <laughs> I was just going to say that. that. My he God, wants that to have to happen. Right? 
We need Alex Rodriguez doing something for the Marlins. He, he, I don't know if he wants to manage. I think a lot of people, myself included, think he would be a phenomenal manager. But I don't think he's ever said he wants to be a manager. Uh, I don't know if he's ever said he doesn't want to be. I just don't recall him ever thinking. I think he'd be an incredible manager. I mean, Alex Rodriguez has a lot of flaws. We could spend an entire podcast talking about Alex Rodriguez's flaws. We have. <laughs> However, that guy knows more about baseball than anyone on earth. Yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable talking to this. When you hear, just listen to him on TV, the guy is a baseball total freak when it comes to baseball. The guy knows as much as anyone on the planet. I think he'd be a fantastic manager. Not sure he and Derek's relationship has gotten to the point where that's a possibility in Miami, but we could bring Yeah, we could uh, kick it back to when they were having slumber parties in the late 90s. Exactly. Hey, Jared, thanks a lot for joining us. And again, you guys can find him at the Wall Street Journal and on Twitter at Jared Diamond. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.